0: Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Big January 6 news this week. For the first time, the Washington Post confirmed that the Department of Justice is investigating former President Donald Trump's role in the attack at the Capitol and other efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Plus, investigators are reportedly looking into whether Trump conspired with his associates to obstruct an official proceeding or to defraud the government. In other news, there are more missing texts relating to January 6th, this time from Trump Department of Homeland Security officials. Preet and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community.
1: So I guess today it's basically putting Al-Zawahiri aside. It's all things January 6th, and there's two components to that, as there have been for a long time. One recently more active than it has been. So the one component is what is DOJ doing? And the other component is what is Congress doing? This week, I think, almost uniquely, we're going to start with DOJ. What do you think of that?
0: You know, it is unique, but but before we do, and I know this will be one of our themes undoubtedly, a lot of stuff happened last week. And it was a good week, I think, for people who were beginning to lose faith in the Justice Department. They heard the Attorney General reaffirm his commitment to bringing all of those who are criminally responsible to justice. But I think we need to talk realistically about all of the work that has to be done and all of the different things that have to come to fruition to make prosecution of the people at the top of of any conspiracy, let alone this one, a possibility. It's not automatic.
1: No, in fact, you know, there's something that we don't talk about explicitly because a lot of people have made up their minds. There's a judge who said, people keep quoting this judge, who said there's probable cause to believe that people up to and including the former president have likely committed a violation of more than one federal statute obstruction of an official proceeding and conspiracy to defraud the United States. Remember, even that judge is saying there's probable cause based on the information that he has and the documents that he has seen and that many of us have also seen, that doesn't mean there's a criminal case to be brought. And let me ask you the question. Do you think that the Department of Justice, It's. I mean, the, I think the answer to this is obvious, but it's worth stating explicitly. Do you think the Department of Justice has made up its mind in any way, shape or form about the chargeability of Donald Trump?
0: No, it absolutely hasn't, because all of the evidence isn't in yet. And look, it's important to understand prosecutors are people, too, and they can for personal reasons or or just for reasons as patriots, want to see Donald Trump prosecuted, that doesn't mean that they're going to give the ghost signal unless all of the evidence is in place.
1: Every case has to go through various phases. I haven't mentioned my book in a while. I wrote wrote a book called Doing Justice.
0: I like your book. And I
1: thank you. And and I teach a class at NYU Law School that that tracks basically the arc of the book. And as I said forth there, and as prosecutors know, there are distinct phases of a matter. The first phase is the investigative phase that is completely distinct and separate from the charging phase. And you can't make your decision about whether or not to bring an indictment against one or more people on one or more counts until you completed the investigation. And it is sometimes true that where there's smoke, there's not enough fire and you do your investigation and you don't think there's enough proof beyond a reasonable doubt with respect to one or more people or with respect to one or more counts and then you don't bring the case. Sometimes, and we can talk about this in a few minutes, there is sufficient evidence to possibly get a conviction. But depending on how likely that is and what the other circumstances are and the stakes, prosecutors can sometimes reasonably decide not to bring the case, even though it's arguable that there's enough evidence, perhaps, to get a conviction. We can talk about those probabilities and what the relevance of those probabilities are also, if, if you want. And then there are some times where there's sufficient evidence to get a conviction. And for other reasons of fairness, you don't bring the case. And you know, in that bucket, there are some people, even on the Democratic side, who are very worried that to bring a criminal case against Donald Trump, even if it's justified and supportable, would be a bad precedent. I don't happen to agree with those people, but there are these other considerations. But before you can get to the charging... You got to do the investigation.
0: You know, absolutely. And I'd add one final consideration to your bucket. This is why trial lawyers hate appellate lawyers, by the way. I spent part of my career in the U.S. Attorney's Office after being a line prosecutor working in our appellate division And every once in a while, the pesky appellate lawyers swoop in and say, you know, there's a significant legal issue. You might get a conviction, but you're going to lose on appeal because, whatever the legal reason is, here we've heard folks talk about the First Amendment as a defense. I think that'll have to be litigated, but ultimately, I don't think that that stands in the way. Of a prosecution, if there's evidence here. But I would expect the Solicitor General's office to be fully engaged, testing the sorts of legal impediments that could block certain sorts of charges in a case like this.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about timing for a moment. And as we talk about timing, we can talk about the substance of the facts and what evidence needs to be adduced. They are not anywhere close to completing an investigation of Trump and the people around him. And we know that how. We know that because. The committee has interviewed 1,000 people. The DOJ has put two or more people into the grand jury. We know the DOJ is not going to rely only on what the committee does, because they've already shown themselves, to need the testimony of at least two high-level officials who work for Mike Pence, his former chief counsel, and his former chief of staff. Do they need to interview all 1,000? I'm curious what you think about that. Do they need to interview many, many, many of them? Yes. We also have learned that there is a provisional agreement, I think, Between the committee and DOJ, for the committee to turn over 20 transcripts of testimony of witnesses that they have talked to. That's 20 out of a thousand. So that process is only just beginning to get underway. And as you and I have said many times, there's lots of substantive and ethical and prudential reasons why DOJ has to talk to all these people themselves, not just rely on what the committee did, not because the committee didn't do a great and thorough job, but they have different purposes. And The Department of Justice has to do a lot more things and has to test through internal cross-examination the veracity of the witnesses and corroborate them. We're talking many, many months. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And many, many prosecutor and agent bodies, which I think means one of the themes of the podcast is how much ends up on the plate of the Deputy Attorney General, our good friend Lisa Monaco. I think here she's going to have to figure out resource wise what this looks like. And that might mean bringing in some of the most experienced senior folks from across the country and just saying, this case is the priority and, you know, some of the cases at the bottom of the food chain in your office. And that's not to say that any cases are unimportant because they all matter. But you have to be realistic about what you can do with the resources that you have. And sometimes that means saying we're going to let certain sorts of cases be handled by, for instance, our, our state DA counterparts. But I think DOJ will have to make those choices to put together a team that can move forward with this quickly. Because you know, Preet, something really stuck out at me on this timeline of items that we learned about in reporting last week. Also something that you and I have talked about, which is this theme of where was DOJ in 2021. And and what jumped out at me in the reporting was the fact that the Justice Department in April, in April of this year received phone records of key officials and aides in the Trump administration, including Mark Meadows. I don't understand why that only happened in April of 2022. If you were running a stealth investigation all along, those records would have probably been some of the first things that you would have accessed back in 2021. To me, that's a red flag that this is still early times for DOJ and that they have a lot of work left in front of them.
1: I think that's right. And by the way, as you and I were discussing before we pressed the record button, there are other reasons why DOJ needs to be in a position to have reviewed all the transcripts of all the testimony given by the thousand witnesses before the committee, not just to see what evidence they can use and corroborate and put forward in their own potential case against Trump and others, But also, arguably, they have an obligation to look at all that other evidence because it's in their capacity to obtain, to make sure there's nothing that's exculpatory with respect to anyone they may charge, to be in a position to turn that over to any defendants that they may charge. Fair?
0: Fair, and it's another one of those pesky appellate lawyer points. But DOJ is already under the gun, With the courts. There was a failed prosecution, I think during the Bush administration, of Ted Stevens, an Alaska senator. There were some really serious concerns about discovery, and that led to uh, nationwide discovery reform in the US Attorney's Office early during our tenure as United States Attorneys. Here's how that plays out in a setting like this the government has to be scrupulous about assessing everything that a court might decide. It had access to, you know, not what just DOJ looks at and says, "Okay, we've only got these 20 interviews. This is all we're going to review. They have to think about how a court might view what they possessed. And a court might say you had access to all of this stuff. You had an obligation to turn over anything that what prosecutors call Brady, exculpatory information, information that might make it easier for a defendant to establish that he or she isn't guilty And that isn't viewed, you know, as prosecutors sit here today getting ready to indict a case. They review stuff and they decide what looks today like it might be exculpatory. When courts evaluate that, they look backwards. They're at the end of a trial. The defendant presumably has been convicted. There's an appeal. And now, with all the knowledge of what took place in the trial and afterwards, judges are evaluating the government's conduct before everything got started. So you can understand why prosecutors have to take this extremely seriously. Again, this is something that you have to devote good resources to, and it takes a lot of time to do it right. And if you don't do it right, you can lose your conviction on appeal.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, we've alluded to this before in connection with impeachment proceedings, but it also is true with respect to the 1-6 Committee's work, which again, I think should be applauded, has been done thoroughly and admirably, but whatever you say about it, it is not a criminal crime.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.